0: All slaughtered. No words.
1: Families struggling.
2: I feel you every single minute. I need
1: you back home. There and here.
2: There was also a siren this morning. The, whole, the entire airport had to get down on, their, on the floor, cover their heads.
1: South Florida in flight. Let's just put it in here. And heeding the call. Yes. Can you get the I mean, I, I'm in. I think so, yes. D.C. drama holding up the works. Once uh, we don't have a speaker, that's it. Things stop and look where we are today. Now we are a rudderless house. Uh, Now we have to scramble to find a leader.
3: I wanted to have as many people, leaders of school districts around the country to come to the building to understand the failures and the lessons
2: learned
1: state lawmakers bear witness lessons from douglas high gun law in play live real time this week in south florida the situation is just
3: unbelievable um catastrophic and devastating for us.
0: It's the first time terror hit me so close.
4: I'm very...
1: Sorry, it's difficult for me. No words, I'm trying to
0: keep it together here.
3: The tremendous amount of response from the reservists does leave some reservists with limited equipment. Together, that's 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 the power right now to be unified and stronger than ever.
0: Let's not lose sight of why this is happening. Israel is conducting operations in Gaza because
3: Hamas carried out terrorist attacks that killed in the most horrific
5: ways. Burning their bodies,
2: cutting their heads off. Those good people I just can't understand. It
1: has to stop.
5: Neither side should be killed. Neither side should die.
1: Welcome to You. Good morning. I'm Glenna Milberg. We come on the air today watching developments in Israel and in Gaza, as always here through a local South Florida lens, and that is where we begin. The ground invasion Israeli Defense Forces are preparing to launch comes as young people from South Florida head to Israel to be part of its defense. The community is raising money and supplies and countless families of those in Israeli cities and in Gaza neighborhoods are dealing with profound fear and loss. South Florida is on the front lines, both literally and figuratively. Israel's Consul General to South Florida, Maor Elbaz Starinsky, here live with us once again this morning. Consul General, eternally grateful for your time. I know what a week and in this moment, what it is for you to be working and dealing with so much. Uh, Last week, we were having a conversation as this was unfolding. A week later, it is still unfolding. Bring us up to date right here, right now. You're expecting a, a flight in to Florida from Israel with evacuees.
4: Yeah, where where do I start? There's so much going on. The, a week ago, I was, and uh, I will probably forever be overwhelmed with the magnitude and and scale of this horrific, horrific, horrendous uh, war crime, atrocity against against Jewish people um, in Israel. Uh, but as as I, last Sunday the, the the agony and pain was were, were taken over throughout the years throughout the week we have we have we have seen so much support here in in this wonderful state and and the the we are overwhelmed by this by by this support and many of the things are done on a community level as you as you stated and some of them are done on a state level, such as uh, uh, all the way from the governor, governor down, bringing people from Florida to uh, to uh, uh, back to F- F- Floridian from Israel back to to Florida. To- today and there is yeah, a well, flight there is, coming Yeah, there in is now? a flight a that hours. will be coming coming in today. In just in just, in just a few hours, uh, we've been working with the governor's team and, and other stakeholders to make sure that it happens as swiftly and safely as uh, as possible. Tomorrow there will be a plane. Or uh, well actually, for the next few days, a few planes with supplies that will be sent uh, to Israel, such as medical supplies, and and uh, again, we are overwhelmed with this support. But there is a lot, there's a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be long and gruesome.
1: Yeah, you know, um, our partners at the network at, at ABC are, are on the ground and covering developments as it appears IDF is staging for a ground invasion um, t- an operation to take out once and for all a terrorist organization.
4: Once and for all, you said it, you said it right, we've, we've, you know, since we've withdrawn and it's important to understand we do not control Gaza. We've withdrawn from Gaza in, in 2005 almost 20 years ago and, and when Hamas took over just a year later instead of investing in building building the Gaza Street for its population. What it did, it invested all, the its, all, the, all its money, uh, mainly from, from Iran, into building terroristic uh, uh, infrastructure. And in the end of the day, after I think it's the 15 rounds of es- escalation in the past two years, yeah. 15 rounds of escalation, uh, enough is enough enough
1: is enough you know you say enough is enough and enough is enough for Israelis certainly and for Gazan civilians who are now caught in the middle I'm, I'm looking at uh, surveys and polls and and fully 50% of Gazan civilians do not support what Hamas I totally agree with you
4: I, t- I totally agree this is not a war between us and the Palestinians yes. or it's the war between us and Hamas yes.
1: so so talk about you know what we look at everything from a very South Florida lens and we in a couple of minutes we'll actually Actually, be talking to South Florida families who have people in Gaza watching what's going on now. W- what can you tell them? Uh, evacuations are underway, as advised by the Israeli military. Practically speaking, though, that's a very difficult thing for those for those people in those neighborhoods to be
4: dealing with. Well, I, I, I think the question, is especially after seeing after seeing the magnitude, we're talking about five, uh, almost 1,500, 1,400, more than 1,400. People that were murdered in the most gruesome, brutal, cruel way—beheaded babies, b- butchered uh, uh, soldiers—they uh, uh, kidnapped a girl with autism. They kidnapped Holocaust survivors. They murdered whole whole families. I think the question need to be asked now is: What do you need us? To to do to make sure that you actually take Hamas down. And we take Hamas down not only for Israel. Of course, our government is committed to the security and safety of, of Israel. But uh, the Palestinians themselves will, will, will gain uh, will gain from eliminating Hamas because they are oppressed by Hamas. Hamas is. Killing them, oppressing them, uh, executing them. You know, it,
1: I want to bring it back to uh, the rallies. There was there were rallies around the world, certainly. But again, South Florida had a very large rally downtown Miami. People who are genuinely interested in seeing Palestinian people self-determination, peace, get get land. That that is a a cause that appears to be raising its head now because of something that really is terrorism and not part of that political yeah. issue.
4: Well, uh, there are a few things that I can say about this. is First of all, and, and sorry to f- for being so so blunt, these people are despicable. I mean, Hamas. The p- no, of course Hamas are despicable, no, but people that support Hamas now are despicable. I'm, it's okay. It's okay to have criticism. It's okay to differ on political views, but this is not politics anymore. This is not territory anymore. I'm not even sure it's values anymore. We're talking about complete darkness, complete evil against good, against everything that we, our communities uh, hold so, so, so dear. So those who support Hamas now are despicable in my, in, in, in my view, in colleges, in downtown Miami, or in other places. But I'll say something else, if I may. Well, of course. There, so, there is so much support. I saw the, the, the rally in, in, in downtown Miami. What, was a couple dozens of people? Maybe 100, 200, 300. We saw thousands thousands of people rally in Miami Beach and in Aventura and in Broward and in, in Orlando and in Tampa, you name it. Thousands of people have rallied across the country, but certainly in this in, in southern Florida, rallied because they know they know what's right. They know how to distinguish, good. were not only Jews, not only Jews, they just rallied, came together in solidarity, in empathy and in support and they, we, we know that uh, uh, they are with us. We know that they will give us the backwind uh, that we need to finally eradicate this this menace, this monster we are called Hamas.
1: There is an inextricable tie and in connections between the United States as a whole, and most certainly South Florida. Six degrees of separation between Israel and the Israeli communities, a- and I w- I want to just one more question about that. Do you think education, social media, w- what is the disconnect for people to really understand history and the moment, and how terror differs from the political issues at play.
4: Well, uh, w- w- we've been trying to say all along: terror is terror is terror. When you when you only look on the other side of the, of, of of the aisle, when it comes to antisemitism, when it comes to the de- definition of terror, you are biased and you are not genuine and you are not sincere. Terror is terror. Terror when a thousand. More than a thousand terrorists infiltrated Israel and butchered 1,400 people in their homes, elderly, families. That's terror, and when you live up uh, uh, or uphold the certain values of, 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 of humanity, Uh, of of freedom of of human rights of the the cherishing life then you have to stand up against it now social media has a very very big role some of it positive some of it negative Uh, people people are are having very very solid views that they would die for based on an eight seconds clip on TikTok and they need they know everything that needs to be known about the Israeli-Palestinian or the Israeli-Arab conflict and and they and they and they and they were willing to go fight fight for it. So, so I urge them, learn, learn. expand your, your, your horizon, speak to others. Have you met Jews? Have you met Israelis? Really these are the people that you would butcher in their sleep, that you would be had because they're Jews, because they're Israelis? Really?
1: Consul General, I know, um, I know you have a very busy schedule and I know you are very personally affected too. Uh, I just have no words to say how much we value your time and your perspective and um, and thank you, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Lena. Okay. All right, up next, the operation to take down Hamas and its terror capabilities has put millions of people under Hamas leadership at risk in Gaza. The view from their South Florida families is next. <laughs> Right here, this is new video from the Gaza border as Israel has warned more than a million people to evacuate the north end ahead of a military operation against Hamas entrenched there the consequences of that terror attack now putting its own people in danger. Hakeem Bashir is one of countless in South Florida whose family is bearing those consequences. Mr. Bashir, it is very nice to have you this morning and I am so sorry it is under these consequences, but we really value your perspective and, um, and let's start by just talking about how is your family, your brother, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, where are they and how are they?
2: Thank you, thank you, Emily, for having me on your show. And Mr. Bashir, we begin, I just want to let
1: you know Emily is our rock star producer. My name is Glenna, and it is very nice to meet you.
2: Thank you, Glenna, and sorry for the name, but nope. thank you for having me on your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge my Palestinian friends, family, and community members who have been killed and injured in this in this brutal and gruesome. Uh, events. So, so far in the last, in the last seven, eight days, we have over 2,500 Palestinians who have been killed since last Saturday and 9,200 have been injured. 700 of those are children. So for me and for my family, uh, how how I have been feeling, we have been feeling miserable just to about the thought of what is going on there and being disconnected from them. We have been we have been, unable to reach any of them in the last 48 hours. Uh, there is no electricity and no internet. And we have been trying to scramble to find a way to connect with them, but we haven't been successful as of yet.
1: Where, where are they located?
2: Uh, they are all over. They are all over the Gaza Strip and uh, the last time I talked to them, they have evacuated uh, their home. Um, over over 1.1 million people have been displaced, and they have been ordered to leave the northern side of Gaza Strip and move uh, move south. So they are they have relocated.
1: So you, um, it's what a what a devastating position to be in to not be able to even reach them or or find out what their status is. We of course and our partners at the network are covering what is happening as we speak, uh, we do have video of all those leaflets that the IDF has dropped really warning people to, to, as you say, go go south, get out of northern Gaza. In fact, we're looking at some real-time video right now of those leaflets. And we also have information that Hamas, which which rules, the governing Hamas of, of that region, is telling people not to leave not to heed that warning what what do you make of that what do you hope for your family
2: um so just in terms of the the leaflets you mentioned uh like like any like any other group anywhere in the world uh, the palestinian people living in gaza 80 percent of them are refugees who have experienced displacement since 1948 and they, they deserve to live in peace. They, they deserve to live and have, have families and have uh, a peaceful life. So, and they are no different than any human here in South Florida. In fact, when you compare them to the Ukrainians, it's just the doctors without that borders call the demand from the, from the Israeli military as outrageous. And I do agree so with that because when when the Ukrainians fought the the Russian the Russian aggression on them, the world cheered them on, and actually, um, the United States provided support to them.
1: Let me so, let me ask you this because I think the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel slash Gaza is is a very different dynamic, very different history, and I really want to want to keep the focus on Hamas and what it has been doing. I think, to your point, there is 100% support for all of the civilians who are bearing the consequences of this, for sure. I wonder how much of the responsibility for it you and your family place on Hamas because but for the actions of Hamas, there is an argument that this would not be happening.
2: Well, uh, Glenn, I'm I'm not here. I'm not here to, uh, to, to blame one, one party or, or the other. This, these events could, could be very well preventable. And the, the, Palestinian, the Palestinian government, recognized by the United States, have engaged in peace talks for the last 30 years. And I'm not, I'm not one to talk on behalf of the Palestinian government or on behalf of any government, for that matter. My focus here is on the civilians living in the Gaza Strip. My focus here is on my own family. Nobody in the Gaza Strip at the moment or or us here in the United States are in that mental space to be in the blame game. We are not in the blame game. We are just trying to shed light on the suffering and the miseries of the Palestinian people living in the Gaza Strip
1: the suffering of those people is something that that we see again the the suffering is something that people are talking about under hamas and a hamas that spends money on weapons and terror instead of its own people and and since you brought it up that's why i was bringing that up and i wonder your family uh, in what they're going through right now and trying to stay safe and trying to evacuate. Is that something that that they're, that they're thinking about?
2: I have a large family that lives in the Gaza Strip and we are all over the Gaza Strip. And wh- the closest one to me at the moment that is still living there is my brother, my nephew, my niece, my uncles, and my cousins. My brother. The last time I talked to him, he wasn't able to find milk. And at the moment, the United Nations called the situation in Gaza uh, alarming because they do not have water. Uh, in the last, and even talking about displacing them, that's the worst-case scenario. Where where should they go? Because even those who tried to actually abide by the demand were bombed. And we have videos that have been circulating the last 48 hours. They have been bombed as they were trying to flee to safe.
1: I I have actually seen some of those, and there is a question about who was doing the bombing that we are actually trying to verify. Uh, Hakeem Bashir, I want you to know that we absolutely will help you in any way we can contact your family and get in touch, and I hope you will stay in touch with us uh, as this goes on. And if you are able to contact them, please do let us know.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. And up next, we shift to the Capitol, as Republicans are struggling to find a new leader. Congresswoman Maria Salazar joins us next. INCIDENT SCRAMBLE TO seat a HOUSE SPEAKER BECAME EVEN MORE URGENT. WITHOUT ONE, CONGRESS REMAINS PARALYZED TO ACT ON AID ON ANYTHING FOREIGN OR DOMESTIC. CONGRESSWOMAN MARIA SALAZAR, REPUBLICAN REPPING MIAMI TO Kendall AND MEMBER OF THE FOREIGN AFFAIRS COMMITTEE RIGHT HERE WITH US LIVE. CONGRESSWOMAN, IT IS SO GOOD TO SEE YOU. IT'S BEEN TOO LONG. I know, so happy to be with you, Glenna. So you are on the Foreign Affairs Committee, so what a great brain to pick this morning. Can you bring us up to date with, I know your committee was briefed, uh, especially where the Americans involved are concerned and the hostages, Americans among them.
3: Yes, and the number one message that we need to send from Washington, specifically to Iran, is that if by any chance one of the American hostages is killed or one of its proxies, Hezbollah or Hamas, uh, 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 maims or kills one of our American personnel in in the Middle East, the consequences will be dire. We have to send a very strong message from Washington, united Republicans with Democrats, to Iran saying that do not take advantage of what's happening in Israel, specifically Hezbollah, because we cannot have a second front in the North and a third front in Syria that happens to be another puppet of Iran. So, so these are very complicated times that we have to send a very strong message.
1: So the message that the consequences will be dire as we speak there are American warships in the Mediterranean staging. Yeah. Can you can you detail that? What does the consequences will be dire mean in practical terms? How far would you support American military and civilians go?
3: If I were the president, believe me, and you don't want to hear what I would do, but that belongs to the White House. But the White House, uh, you know, if you think about it, in only three years, the Biden administration, and this is nothing to do with parties because you've had other democratic administrations who have stepped up to the plate. But the reality is that now we have two regional Wars because of the weakness and the message that is so feeble coming from the White House. President Biden has to say unequivocally, we are not going to let Iran behave the way it is. Look about the $6 billion that we gave them. And now I understand that they're going to return it, but they knew that they could use that money in something else. Look at the fact, I'm not sure if you know that the DOD, let we'll me just give you this piece of information. Six months ago, DOD told us that Iran was ready to have a nuclear weapon in two weeks. That was six months ago. So what about now? What about Syria? What, this thing that, well, and 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 you're asking me about information we have. One of the things that I can share is that the uh, the Biden administration told us that there are no, no empirical evidence that demonstrates that Iran was behind this uh, surprise attack. That's that's in, unimportant. Iran has given weapons, equipment, uh, yeah. uh, 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 training. A, a to couple come of things for years.
1: Okay, yeah. a, a couple of things, just so we can make this a conversation. <laughs> um, the the war we had talked about the the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel and Gaza are are kind of apples and oranges at the moment. Um, vis-a-vis the history and reason. The the $6 billion that you mentioned, I know, is in play in conversation as part of the Saudi-Israeli-U.S. deal with Iran and has, to your point now, is, is coming back. I just wanted to um, just... PUT A LITTLE PERIOD ON THE END OF THAT SENTENCE, BUT I ALSO WANTED TO ASK YOU IF YOU you CAN CONFIRM, CONGRESSWOMAN, THAT LAST NIGHT IRAN SENT A MESSAGE TO ISRAEL THROUGH THE U.N. THAT IT WILL INTERVENE IF THERE IS A GROUND INVASION. CAN YOU CONFIRM THAT MESSAGE? WHAT DO YOU KNOW?
3: I CANNOT CONFIRM OR DENY WHAT YOU'RE TELLING ME, BUT GOING BACK TO BECAUSE WE NEED TO GET BACK TO WASHINGTON. WE'LL BE THERE TOMORROW. Uh, and we'll be, but I'll get back to you and I'll let you know so you can report it to the viewers. But I want to tell you something that I think that you should look at this angle. What's happening in Israel is not an isolated event. We're talking about the axis of evil, Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. And all they're doing is ganging up against us, against the West, against Israel, and against the United States and Europe. If we really believe that we are dealing with Europeans, that this uh, Shiite militias are, are people that, that have the same values that we have, that they don't consider death as a form of worship, that they want to destroy not only Israel but the United States because we are the, the infidels. We've got to wake up and we got to understand that we're not dealing with people like us. So these in people the, have another set of out
1: so in not unrelated when you go back to washington tomorrow i want to talk a little bit about how far you, you are one of the quote-unquote moderate republicans in the house um there is news as this drama over the speaker unfolds that that our national partners are covering quite well you personally and your colleagues in south florida where are you in picking a speaker? Do you back someone like Jim Jordan? Are you part of those who are thinking maybe with the Democrats, there might be a an unprecedented kind of coalition government deal? I mean, w- where are you on that spectrum?
3: I'm not opposed to either one. We need to open the doors of the House of Representatives. We have to pass a resolution Standing with Israel, we have to continue funding the government. We have November 17th right there. We got we got to, we have to make sure that there, there is not, there is not a shutdown, and that the government will be funded. So there is business to be conducted. So whomever uh, becomes the speaker according to the majority, I will be there. I supported uh, Kevin McCarthy; he should have never been kicked out. I supported Scalise; should have never, uh, he should have had the votes. I am supporting Jim Jordan, Patrick McHenry. If the conference just cannot get to the 217, then I'm one of the proponents to give special forces or special powers to the temporary speaker, Patrick McHenry, to start conducting business until we can figure it out. We're pretty democratic, but it comes to a point where we have to stop this find the, the replacement and continue doing the American people's business.
1: So maybe tomorrow you give me a call and let me know what happens while you're there. Congresswoman Maria of Salazar, course. always great to have you on the program. Thanks to you for the opportunity, of course. Take care. All right, back in South Florida, the consequences of a different sort of terror. Lawmakers are at the scene of the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High this weekend, and you will hear from two as this week in South Florida continues.
3: I wanted to have as many people leaders of school districts around the country to come to the building to understand the failures and the lessons learned
2: to really know the true story to see what actually happened
0: everything from the need to strengthen the doors I'm showing the importance of having uh, bullet-resistant glass in these doors
1: Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, hi. Families with the Florida lawmakers this weekend who made that difficult tour of the 1200 building where a young mass murderer rampaged through the halls five and a half years ago. Our own community's forever tragedy that sparked unprecedented gun safety laws a month later, backed by Florida's conservative legislature. In advance of this upcoming session in January, lawmakers are filing a roster of gun related bills, some of them proposing to strengthen state gun law, at least one proposing to undo what the MSD law does. We have two of those lawmakers with us today. We start with Senator State Senator Tina Polsky, Democrat, whose Broward Palm Beach district does include Parkland and those Douglas High families. Senator Polsky, welcome.
5: Hi, Glenna. Thanks for having me on.
1: Of course, good to see you. Um, So among the roster of gun bills that have been filed, if everybody wants to look, it's right there on the web. You can watch filings every day. Uh, You have a bill, Jamie's Law, named for one of the MSD victims, Jamie Guttenberg, that would essentially apply um, to ammunition the same waiting rules, the same uh, purchase waiting rules that guns are now subject to. Tell me a little bit about that.
5: Yes, so Jamie's law, named after Jamie Guttenberg, um, was put together by Fred Guttenberg, her dad, who's a, a great activist in this area, and I am filing it, I believe, for the third year in a row. It's really important. I mean, it just makes perfect logical sense. If you have to go through a background check for a gun, then you should equally go for a background check for the ammunition. It's a loophole that needs to be fixed. And just imagine if we could prevent someone who shouldn't be uh, purchasing a gun, purchasing loads and loads of ammunition to be used in their illegal gun. If we could stop them from getting the ammunition, we could save lives.
1: So you know, what comes to mind is during the debate this past year over when the permitless carry law was bubbling up, which which is now law, permitless carry, one of the arguments was that Right now, criminals do permitless carrying. And I want to apply that as a question. Right now, ammunition is not difficult to get. And if it were subject to more restraint, for people who shouldn't really have ammunition, it doesn't seem like it would be still hard to get, even though.
5: Yeah, I mean, the, the reasoning behind uh, denying a lot of these bills is, well, the criminals don't apply the laws anyway. And they get around it. That doesn't mean that we don't try. It doesn't mean we don't do everything in our power to make our world safer. Um, you know, walking through Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School yesterday uh, and, you know, talking to the parents of the victims, uh, how we wouldn't do every single thing in our power to prevent the tragedy that happened there. This young man reloaded his assault rifle with high capacity magazines multiple times during the six minutes. Imagine if he didn't have that capability to uh, you know, shoot so many people all at once, lives could have been saved. And so why wouldn't we do every single thing we can just because Uh, You know, everyone doesn't follow the law. Otherwise, there would be no one in jail. But that doesn't mean that we don't have laws on the books. And the role of government is to uh, apply the laws and to help monitor or or gauge behavior, to help change behavior, to get people to let's not have this crazy gun culture that we have in the United States. We have more guns than people. So let's keep fighting to keep our children safe. It is the number one, gun violence is the number one killer of children. Imagine if it was cancer, the amount of research that we would always do for cancer, uh, that we should do, but we would always work towards saving lives. But somehow when it comes to guns and ammunition, this little piece of metal has more rights than I do.
1: So let, let me just no let me, why We don't do it. Let me just ad- address a couple of things that you said because there, there. In fairness, has been a great deal done since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas catastrophe, and some of the laws that try to make schools more secure in light of what we learned about the campus that day, uh, addressing mental health in light of what we learned about the shooter. So you, you bring up now the the gun question. Also has the Second Amendment applicable to it. So I'm I'm just. Wondering as you walk through that building, as you are in the halls of the Capitol, what kind of appetite do you see among your colleagues to go further as as you're proposing?
5: Well, I have to be honest with your audience; they're not going to hear these bills. Uh, we propose these bills because it's what our constituents want, and representing Parkland and the surrounding communities, it, it, I just know how important it is and how passionate I am about those issues. Um, But I know that it's not going to get heard. And in fact, when you speak to your next guest, you'll realize we're going in the wrong direction. Five years ago, we did pass landmark legislation, bipartisan, to uh, make our gun laws stricter. And a lot of those things have worked. The red flag laws have worked. And, you know, from my understanding, thousands of uh, people have lost the right to a gun because they, uh, you know, are dangerous people. And that's a good thing. Um, but now you see like a withering away of the good work that we did last year, taking away a uh, concealed weapons permit, people proposing open carry, people proposing lowering the age to buy an assault weapon back to 18 which was accomplished after Marjorie stoneman douglas up to 21 and now they want it back again and when you speak to your next guest he wants to get rid of the waiting period um so they, we had this great step forward and now we keep stepping back and instead of increasing our gun safety measures we're going backwards and making guns just so much more accessible and i wish everyone could have walked through Marjorie stoneman douglas and seen the blood still on the floor of the 17 victims and multiple folks who were injured uh, and i think about the mental trauma for the people who were there and and witnessed this and was, were hiding from their for their lives and how we wouldn't do everything in our power to get those guns out of the wrong people's hands i don't understand why we don't keep fighting for it but i
1: will well, that is certainly one among many questions we have for our next guest. State Senator Tina Polsky, great to have you on the program, and I do appreciate your time, as always. Thank
5: you so much, Glenna.
1: And up next, the bill that would undo a part of what the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High Public Safety law does, as we've been talking about, and the lawmaker who filed it right here live. <music> or one of the lawmakers who got a first-hand look for the first time at Douglas High murder scene this weekend had filed a bill over the summer that would shorten the waiting period for gun purchases put in place by the MSD Public Safety Act. The wait now is at least three days, but longer if the records check isn't done in that time. HB-17 would make the three days it, even without the results of a records check. State Rep. Joel Rudman is the sponsor of that bill. He's a Republican from Navarre in the Panhandle and right here at the table with us today. So nice to have you in-house today.
0: It's always good to be here. I just wish it was under more pleasant circumstances. I One
1: hundred percent. Um, let's start with that. That was your first time walking through that building yesterday. How did that go?
0: Well, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, Glenna, I was afraid. I was afraid of the feelings that I might, you know, have to deal with by walking those hallways where the tragedy took place. You know, I had actually visited Marjorie Stoneman Douglas twice in the past but oh, had, ne- had never been allowed within the gates ah. so this was a really special moment for me and and again I wasn't sure exactly the emotions that would hit me uh, but the emotion of fear quickly gave way to an emotion of anger when you walked all three of those corridors you know first floor second floor, third floor and you realized all these systematic failures that took place that day so from fear i moved into anger but then you know what after talking to family members we had a little debriefing after taking the tour and after hearing their perspective i left just more emboldened than ever i know we're on the right path you know hearing their stories and seeing this tragedy and and hearing the kind of play by play you realize that this was definitely a mental health situation gone bad. And of course, you know, we we spoke two months ago about making that a priority of our legislature.
1: We did. I know you're heavily involved in that too. But um, just from from our perspective here and from covering this from that that moment, um, security failure, mental health failure, gun purchase failure, there are levels and levels and levels of failures here. And it was really interesting to then, a month later, cover a very conservative legislature and then Governor Rick Scott signing off on what were unprecedented laws involving guns? Um, I like to say gun safety, not gun control, right. because that's what we're all looking for. Right. Um, your bill that you filed would undo that, ki- potentially undo the waiting period, specifically if a, if a background check hadn't been completed in the three days, which would essentially mean I mean, the crux of your bill means somebody may be taking possession of a gun without the state knowing whether he or she has been a criminal in the past.
0: So, Glenna, to give you an idea of where the bill came from, so the bill originated from my district, from from District 3 up in the Florida Panhandle. We have gun store owners, FFL dealers, who basically came to me when I took office with a list of 51 names of law-abiding citizens who had waited over two years for the result of their background check. Now, you and I both know in the 21st century, Nothing takes two years. So
1: isn't that a background check process issue and not a gun purchase issue?
0: Well what happened, Glenna, back in 2018, like you say, as part of that bill, we changed the statutes in the state of Florida for years. The statute had always read that FDLE, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, they had a maximum of three business days to get the details on the background check. Now Truthfully, it usually takes a few minutes, so we gave them the benefit of the doubt and gave them three business days. In 2018, that statute was changed to read from three business days to essentially as long as they want to take. So guess what? When you give a government agency all the time in the world to do a fairly simple task, guess how much time that task it takes all the time in the world
1: to- totally fair point but but again are you comfortable then potentially there will be people taking possession of guns if, if this comes to pass who don't have a criminal background check so
0: they will have a criminal background the background check does not end after three Uh, three working days three business days so really you're talking about five or six days total when you factor in weekends Um, so the, the background check does not stop there and remember all we're doing we're rolling the statute back to how it used to read prior to 2018 and again talking with the Parkland families walking those halls of all the failures that happened that day Glenna there was not a failure with this sentence in the statute that was not the problem that day
1: you know, uh, just in—I'm not sure you were able to hear what we talked to Senator Polsky about, but she had made a point that, you know, she doesn't feel like some of the bills, especially that the Democrats are are filing, will get any traction. Um, I guess one of my questions to you is: Is there any sign that you had from your colleagues that your bill will get traction, or, or maybe not? But aside, answer that for a second. I have a two-point, a two-part question here. And her other point was, there are, um, there are laws that they're going to try for that will never see the light of day, but you don't stop trying.
0: Right. Okay. <laughs> so to answer the first question, I guess we'll see. You know, again, I listen to my constituents. I listen to FFL dealers across the state. They're telling me their concerns, they're telling me their problems. I had a constituent back in the third district. You know, we're a heavily military area. Right. We're surrounded by Air Force bases and naval bases. I had a constituent, a military spouse, whose husband was deployed. While he's deployed, she gets a stalker. She gets threats against her life. So she goes to a gun dealership on a Friday uh, wanting to purchase a firearm for her own safety, for her own protection. Well remember under current statute she could not get that gun on the Friday and because it was a Friday remember Friday does not count as the first day Saturday doesn't count Sunday doesn't count be Wednesday Monday actually was Memorial Day so Monday didn't count Thursday uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You can't pick up your gun on the third day. So she waited an entire seven days to protect herself, and that gave the predator, that gave her stalker, seven days where she was undefe- undefended, defenseless.
1: Um, I just need to know the outcome
0: of that. Is she okay? She's fine. Okay, she's fine. But again, that 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 makes my point though. The Understood. only people who are going to follow that statute are law-abiding citizens. So the only people were actually cooling off are people who are under threat, people who are trying to protect their own safety.
1: Um I want to just in the short time we have together, did anything about your lawmaking perspective change yesterday on that campus in that building?
0: You know, to be honest, it made me more emboldened. You know, we had talked a couple months back here on your show about the need to address this mental health crisis that we have in Florida and to hear the parents, you know, and I especially want to thank the parents of uh, of, of the victims that I met with, you know the uh, the parents of Gina, Elena, Chris, Chris's you know,
1: wife Debbie,
0: absolutely Alyssa.
1: She Chris, uh, Chris's wife Debbie Hickson, reminds people that it's not only parents who are lost. Yes,
0: and of course I especially want to make mention of, of Alex's dad uh, Max. Yes. So after speaking with these family members, Glenna, it became obvious to me that I wasn't the only one who thought we had a mental health crisis. This cold-blooded murderer, he should have been racted a long time ago. He never was. He should have been arrested a long time ago, and he never was.
1: Rep. Joel Rudman, great to have you at the table. Please do come back soon.
0: Thank you so much. I know much. you have
1: band practice at 9. We have to get <laughs> That's you
0: right. Thanks right. for having me.
1: We'll be right back. Stay tuned. You know you're such a big part of this program. Connect so easily on social media. Easy to find and follow. Reach out at Glenna WPLG. Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, threads. Pick your pleasure. Thanks so much for being here with us. Have a beautiful Sunday. Keep in touch.